want to welcome you to the Arrow Heights podcast, broadcasting live from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Is that, Is right? that right? It seems backwards. Sounds right. Broadcasting. We are. I want to welcome you to the Arrow Heights podcast, broadcasting live from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. My name is Ryan. Is that? Yeah. No, My name is Nathan. We're good. The snow and ice has completely thrown everything off. Ryan's brain is frozen. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you are uh, safe and sound and uh, didn't slide on the ice as much as some of us did. But uh, yeah. I'm Josh. Oh, yeah. My name oh, is yeah. Nathan Copeland. We'll go backwards. And Ryan already I'm introduced Ryan himself. So did sweet. I? Yeah, I think you did. Man, I need I need a Coke Zero. This podcast has gotten away from you. don't even have anything to drink. I don't. I think that's the issue. That's probably There's why a Milky Way. Up. There you that's go. Right. From, from, from the table. The peanut M&Ms are gone. <laughs> from the form of the table. Did I finish those? wasn't me. I think I finished them. Okay. Yeah, they were good. He's a brave man. Yeah. Hey, uh, we got a ton of questions uh, and a lot of big questions, so we want to go ahead and dive in. Um, these are from a couple of weeks ago. We, we haven't recorded in a couple of weeks, and so we're going to be reaching back and covering, hopefully, um, all of these five questions. Then we've got one qu- comment at the end. So um, this might be a longer podcast, so buckle up, buttercup. It's already been a longer podcast. Yeah, Let's has. get started. Yeah, it has. Okay, so first one came in uh, just uh, a little over two weeks ago. It says, very often the pastors at HBC quote from books you have read. As we're starting off the year with emphasis of reading the Bible in a year, I'm curious how you organize your time to read supplemental books. Do you set goals to read a book a month or a week, etc.? How much time do you spend reading in a setting? And what advice would you give lay people wanting to incorporate more supplemental theological reading in their busy schedules? Great question. Great question. This is a Nathan question. I think all three of us in our minds <laughs> said this is a Nathan or a my question. <laughs> me, me question. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, don't read books about nominalism versus realism because no. you'll go to sleep pretty quickly. No. Uh, first of all, I mean, for, I think it's important to say not everyone can or should read as much as everyone else or read as much as pastors do. Not even every pastor should probably read uh, as much or the same books as every other pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of us reads as much as Dr. Moeller, I understand. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the first thing to say. I mean, I think the pressure is off. It, it's not like some sort of competition. We have to read to be smart or impress people. That's that's dumb, not impressive. But it, it's also true. I do think reading is important. Uh, I think Christians have always said that reading is important. Everywhere Christians have been in the whole world, we've promoted literacy, we've promoted books and and reading and education because we're a people of the book, mm-hmm. right? And so we want to be uh, educated uh, in such a way that we can read and read carefully and read well. And that's important because reading, what is it? It's thinking. That's what reading is. You're thinking someone's thoughts after them. They write them down, and we are able to follow kind of the way they're thinking. That is really important, especially since we know from Scripture that uh, we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, right? You can't bypass the mind in in the path of discipleship. Some people want to say, no, it's just all about, you know, doing, you know, Christ-like things or, or following Jesus, whatever that might mean. Jesus himself was devoted to learning and reading and and preaching and praying the scriptures. So that's what we want to be about. And I think that's also important to say is just prioritize scripture. Uh, that's part of the question here. You know, are you reading the Bible in a year? 
Um, and then how do you read other books as well? I think it's a really important question. Even the way it's framed is, is assuming that the Bible is primary. And that's just critical because, uh, as Ecclesiastes says, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, the words of the wise are like goats. This is verse 11. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Okay, So the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. How do we discern good from evil? How do we discern good books from evil books? Because there's, you know, obviously, you know, uh, of the making of books, there is no end. So, I mean, we've got to be discerning readers. The only way to really be a discerning reader is to, to know the perfect standard of what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. That's God's Word that He has revealed. He is perfect. He is trustworthy. His Word is perfect and trustworthy. So prioritize that. Uh, if you don't, you're just kind of swimming in this sea of uncertainty, but we can know for certain. It's not in the eye of the beholder. No, this is beautiful. That is ugly. How do we know? Because God's Word describes for us and explains for us and reveals to us uh, what we are to think and what we are to believe and what we are to be about. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing maybe uh, it's important to say is, honestly, read what you like. Um, You know, once you prioritize Scripture— uh, which that can be a bit of a chore. There are certain books that are just more difficult than others, but we know that it's God's Word, and so that is enough for us to sort of press through and read, you know, Judges or something, something that's maybe just not our favorite book of the Bible. Um, but just read what you like. Read books that are going to help you in in life. Read books that are going to be ultimately uh, interesting to you, that you're going to be able to make it through. If you just care nothing about ancient Egypt, why would you pick up a book on ancient Egypt? Because you, you know, are trying to impress somebody. Much better to just, as I think Alan Jacobs says it, read on a whim. I, I really think that's good advice. Uh, just read books that you're interested in. Uh, because, as C.S. Lewis says, whenever you read, you can be a thousand other people and never more yourself. Mm. That's one of the advantages of being able to think other people's thoughts after them. You just dive in. And so read widely. Uh, read lots of different things. Uh, for pastors, I mean, part of it is, you know, supplemental reading um, and, and uh, says theological reading. Honestly, there are so many books, you could never read them all, but you, you'll find that there are certain uh, authors, certain publishers, uh, and even just sort of the Christian tradition can guide you in that. I mean, we could start listing books. There was a there was a thing a few years ago. It was like a, 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 a what's that, NCAA tournament? of what is the best Christian book, and they had all these people, I can't remember if it was Christianity Today or who it was, Gospel Coalition put this thing on, and all these people chimed in, and basically got all the way down to the championship game, and it was Augustine's Confessions versus C.S. Lewis' Mere Christianity, hmm. and Augustine won hmm. the, the national book championship or whatever. So that's what, you know, at least that group of readers uh, would say is the, the best Christian book that's ever been written. Now, it's not an easy book. But here's one more advice, <laughs> piece of advice in reading. I heard John Piper say one time, he was talking about his sons and trying to get them to read, and he said, look, if you rake, it's easy, but all you get is leaves. If you dig, it's really hard work, but you might find gold. Something to keep in mind, right? It's kind of the contrast a little bit to 
uh, you know, just read on a whim, read what you like. But sometimes there are books that are worth really plowing through, like The City of God. I have not made it all the way through that one. I made it through an abridged version of it, and it was great. But anyway, there's just a lot of books that are that are not easy, but are still worth reading. Um, anyway, that's it. Oh, one more thing, the uh, read through the Bible. I think I've already said this early on in the year, um, and it's still early in the year. It's not too late to start. I am this year reading through, or kind of listening and reading through a podcast that takes you through the Bible chronologically. So I'm in Job right now, and it's been it's been great, been helpful. It kind of pushes me a little bit, keeps me on track, just an easy way. And again, if you don't have 20 minutes or 15 minutes to just sit and read, well, like what I did this morning, I started listening at my house. I got about 10 minutes through. I had another five minutes. I sat in the parking lot and read along with Robert Smith. Yeah, yeah, and... To the question, you know, how do you prioritize for people with with busy lives? Uh, you know, I, th- I think that key word is prior- prioritize. Uh, we all have additional time, even though it doesn't seem like we do. Uh, however, even in the midst of our busyness, oftentimes there are uh, stretches of time. Um, if you are Maybe taking like you know, like you said, driving to and from work, or uh, taking a, a a kid somewhere to an activity. Uh, you can you can listen. You know, uh, I I do think listening and reading are kind of different activities. Neither of them bad. I'm not against the audio audio books, but uh, have have a book with you in case there is that whim. Have a book that you enjoy. And when it comes to priority, at least for for me in in particular. Um, I'm a big sports fan, love sports. Um, but I have put a limit just on myself that, you know, there are a couple teams love, love to watch the thunder watching the thunder Dallas Cowboys watching the Cowboys, you know, um, you're not now, but sorry, sorry. That's, that's, that's why it's, why it's easy. Yeah. Pick, pick a team that isn't going to be around. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I got, I got this. Oh, uh, took me, took me too long to get back. Sorry. Hey, that's all. That's all. That's all right. Yeah. But even though I love sports, I don't allow myself to become an all sports fan. Like I'm not just going to sit and watch sports and or sit and watch. Well, this game is on, so I'll watch it. Uh, which which means any night during the week, usually most nights during the week, there's not going to be a Thunder game or a Cowboys game or what have you. Uh, so instead of Netflixing or instead of just seeing what's on uh, or or something like that, I've set my default is going to be to read. Mm-hmm. Unless there's something in front of that, that's that's going to be my default. And so I have a stack of books uh, around, just like just like you said. I think it's good to read wide, uh, and I, I've found biographies to be really interesting. Yeah, uh, and. But I don't want to just read biographies, you know. So ha- have have a have a stack of uh, a biography, a history, a Christian life book, a Bible study book, uh, just several different things, and um, pick them up as you have kind of defaulted time in in, in your mind, and you can kind of make make it through. And people are different as far as the, the to the goal part. I I would. I'm not one to say I'm going to read 50 books this year because then I'll just put my eyes on a bunch of pages or I'll just be kicking myself all year for being behind. <laughs> uh, I, I'd rather just read. 
Yeah. You know, but some people are really goal oriented like that. Well, I think, it, and you, you spoke right to it. I think the, the intent is quality over quantity. I mean, mm. you're not just trying to plod through, crank through as much text as you can. I mean, it's not a fiction book. You're trying to actually glean something from it. That's, to the texter's point, I mean, it, it's supplemental theological reading is the goal uh, that they're texting in. I mean, you can also talk about the merits of, merits of reading fiction and mm. uh, other other types of, of reading outside of theological text. But, you know, if you're trying to supplement theological reading and you're finding it difficult to do so, I think it was... Uh, I don't remember if you sent me the podcast, the Doug Wilson podcast on plot work. Oh, remember? maybe. But, but he's got this idea of just, if you never do it, you'll never read. But if you read one page a day mm-hmm. in 200 days, you will have read a book. But you, like, so what I would just say is just start. Like, mm-hmm. even if it's a difficult text, I've got uh, Charles Taylor's uh, uh, Secular Age, secular age mm-hmm. sitting on my nightstand. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not I'm not practicing what I preach because it sat on my nightstand. <laughs> but with the intent of I'm going to read a page a night, like, mm-hmm. and, and if you pick that up, a page is like yeah. ten pages of what I'm typically used to. It's so dense. Uh, but but that's the idea. Like you you read a snippet of it, and it's the same way we do scripture too. Like if, if you're you're not reading the whole whole of God's word in one sitting, I mean you're taking it in small little snapshots. And mm-hmm. so um, that's what I would say. Just start. Uh, pick something up that's interesting. Uh, and, and I would say even uh, if if there's a certain place the Lord is leading you in your Bible reading that you're like, huh, that's interesting. I want to dig in more to that. There's probably been a book written on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Lord probably over the last seven or eight years since I've been here has really been just constantly reminding me of weakness. And so like I would at times I'll just be like, like even going through First Corinthians this morning, it was like, okay, weakness is a thing. Like, and so I'm just reminded of books on weakness, like Weakness is the Way by Packer, Packer you know, mm. and you could pick up books that point to those specific topics that will help you dive more into what the scripture is actually teaching you mm. too. So it uh, might be a good way for checks, checks and balances too. So you're not just like grabbing an Egyptian history and, uh, <laughs> you know, which might be your thing. It could know. be. Yeah. I want, I want to comment real quick on biographies. Um, I, I heard somebody say one time, and I, I agree with this, and I have found this to be true, that biographies are really helpful because you get different genres in the one book, mm-hmm. right? So, so in other words, when you read a good biography, let's say I can just mention a few. One of my favorites, To the Golden Shore, The Life of Adoniram Judson. What a great book. Um, or Peter Brown, his biography of Augustine. It's a little bit big and thick, but it's really good. George Marsden has a really good big biography of Jonathan Edwards, a really important American preacher. There's a series by John Piper, The Swans Are Not Silent, kind of mini biographies that he puts together thematically, really good stuff. But when you read biographies, you're getting kind of the person's life, but also their ideas. Usually it's an important person that did something significant or wrote something or invented something. That's really interesting. But also you get to see them kind of working through kind of moral problems and moral dilemmas. You get to get a sense of kind of who they are as a person and their character. There are lots of life lessons to be learned there. Uh, and you get history. I mean, you get kind of a broader perspective on the world, just getting out of your own kind of time frame to understand something broader about how other people have viewed the world and have lived in this world. So I think that's really important. The, the other thing I would just say is readers, uh, I'll put it this way, Leaders are readers. I, I can't imagine me um, learning and growing from somebody in terms of like being a real uh, pivotal influence in my life if they weren't reading God's Word. 
Um, even my grandmother, who was a real influence on my life, my dad's mom, and she did not have any education or anything like that. She never read anything but the Bible, the living Bible, actually. But she had this sort of uh, kind of a tough wisdom about the world and about life and about relationships, just because, I mean, she'd lived a hard life, but also because she had God's Word just in there. She had been to church a lot in her life, um, and she had, she'd been through difficult things and had to trust the Lord and had to learn some of those things. But again, I think it really does get back to where does that wisdom come from? She wasn't just born with it. Certainly she didn't learn it from her crazy redneck you know, brothers and stuff. She learned it because she was a Christian, and she had God's Word. Uh, she, she was hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd, and she was following and that's how she learned some of those things. So praise God for that. L- leaders, people who are going to be uh, influencing others toward Christ, are people who are going to be reading God's Word. Yeah, and one one last thing on this topic. I've heard someone uh, that, that I trust, and I thought this was why they say, said, read where you're weak, because there will be an ongoing uh, kind of various... Imp- impetuses, impeti, sure. <laughs> or, or you know, there's kind of an ongoing hunger. You recognize that a weakness is in you. It's going to be continually presented uh, to you in your life, and therefore, if you have something that is helping you grow, that is helping address that weakness, it's going to come more to mind, mm. and you're more likely to grasp a hold of the things that it's saying. So. Um, to, to some of those doctrinal theological works, uh, you know, say, man, I, I really don't know much about X, Y, Z. Well, ask one of us. We can mm-hmm. d- direct you to a book. And uh, where, where you're weak kind of recognizes a, a hunger that you're eager to learn about. Cool. Sweet. All right, on to the next one. Uh, Luke 20, verse 1, says that Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. It says a couple other things, but that's, in a nutshell, that's what the question uh, stems from. It says here in Luke 20, verse 1, Jesus is preaching the gospel. How is the gospel message different from the gospel we know today? Can you share with us the way that Jesus shared the gospel as he did in this passage? I think this is helpful to remember that gospel is a word that just means good news. And that is how it's used in the New Testament. And so what is the good news? Well, sometimes when we think of, well, Jesus preached the gospel, or this person preached the gospel, I mean, they they went through a presentation. You know, they, they covered the, the Romans Road, or, uh, you know, the, these, the, the ABCs of uh, turning to Christ. The gospel is just good news. And what the good news was, was what he was proclaiming from the beginning. Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. You know, it's the gospel's good news about bad news. So he would have pointed to sin, pointed to who God is, pointed to uh, God's continuing and enduring word about the Christ, about the Messiah, uh, the necessity to turn from brokenness and sin uh, within ourselves and look to salvation through God and the Christ who is now here. And he would have, you know, said, uh, introduced it that way. So he was, he was basically just telling, telling the, the good news, not necessarily a different presentation than we could give today. Uh, he was just telling the news, man. Yeah, yeah. The gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. That's right. Repent and believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what the questioner might mean by the gospel we know today. 
uh, I'm assuming what they mean there, big assumption, is that the way we kind of typically explain the gospel today in, in brief and, and straightforward terms is more Pauline, more from Romans, like Romans Road kind of stuff. So I, I'd just be curious about that. That's where I'd want to kind of find out more information. I have known people and I've heard this sort of thing that, you know, Paul, you know, preached kind of a different gospel than Jesus. Paul is more concerned about these uh, uh, judicial categories, more concerned about guilt and sin and wrath than Jesus was, who just preached good news, right? I think that's not true. I think that's kind of bogus. First of all, Paul is the earlier witness than Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John. Uh, probably in the late 40s, he wrote Galatians, where he's he's talking about uh, Jesus bearing the curse for us, and it's simply by faith alone that we are made right or declared righteous before God. Um, so that that is kind of the earliest gospel witness, you might say, plus 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you what, what I first received. So he's receiving this message of Christ, uh, you know, uh, crucified and buried and risen again. That's the, the basic message, and that's what comes first. Jesus, the stories of the gospel are kind of explaining and kind of narrating how that happened and what Jesus accomplished. Paul is sort of explaining what Jesus accomplished. So in some ways, uh, this is not meant to be you know heretical in any way, but in some ways, yeah, the, the clearer presentation of the gospel is, is in Paul because he's explaining and expounding these things in kind of greater detail. Certainly, the gospel writers are explaining as they go, but they're telling the story. Paul is kind of reflecting on that story. But again, uh, it's not a different gospel by, by any means. And it also would point to Matthew chapter 5, which to me is a very key text in Matthew's gospel uh, and in just the story of the gospel uh, overall. But Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, this this pivotal moment. He says, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, stop right there. Poor in spirit, what is that? It's faith. It's reaching out the hand of faith to God saying, I don't have any thing to bring. I don't have any righteousness of, of my own. I don't have any good works that are going to impress you and, and bring me favor with you. I'm just here to receive what you give. And then mourn, that's not just those who are sad. It's those who are sad over their sin, those who turn from it and repent of the evil in their own hearts. So what is that? That's just faith and repentance. That's just that same gospel message that we are justified. We are uh, declared righteous before a holy God simply by faith alone. Faith and repentance being just two sides of the same coin that we turn away from sin and turn to Christ and embrace who He is and what He has done for us. So yeah, I see a lot of continuity between Jesus and Paul, and that's the source. That's where. That's how we understand the gospel today and, and every day. You think there's a difficulty with Jesus? You know, saying that Jesus proclaimed the gospel because the gospel that we we share, we know today, is about Jesus Himself. And so, do you think that's kind of the the difficulty in like, well, was Jesus just being like, "Yo, I'm gonna die on the cross and raise"? Like, you think that's the? I think there is a difficulty in the sense of like thinking about the the woman at the well where he told her everything about her. Mm -hmm. 
we can't do that. Sure. <laughs> right? Because we're not the Son of God. Um, but as far as the message that He is the Messiah, we proclaim that same message. He, in a sense, is that message. Mm. He proclaims it, and He is it. We're not it. Yeah. He's it. So yeah. I, I think there is a, a little bit of a, a distinction there. Is is that a model? Is John chapter 4 a model for how to share the gospel? Well, yes. And in some ways, no, because he is unique uh, in a way that we you know, just can't ever be. Well, yeah. Well, there's also just just temp- temporarily um, to the to the question askers uh, question. Jesus couldn't say, "Have faith in my death, burial, and resurrection," because he hadn't been crucified, yeah. buried, and raised from the de- from the dead yet. And so that's where Paul is leaning in because all of those things have happened. So Paul Paul kind of has the full set to draw from, and he is giving all of the explanation. Uh, so, so Jesus in that time and space, probably not appealing directly to those uh, forthcoming things, is focusing on what those things mean. As, as you said, same thing with John 4, with the woman at the well, repent and have faith because true life is in God mm-hmm. and, and living water. And God, so, so uh, we, we come to more fully understand through the resurrection and through the death, but it's still the same message. And so I think that's still the same message that we can share with others today uh, is, you know, turn from yourself, surrender to God, and trust in Him for life and salvation. Amen. Yeah. That's the good news, man. Amen. Good news, man. It is. Good question. Okay, next one. Next one's going to come with a little bit of a caveat. So here we go. Uh, it says this. How would you, as the pastors and leaders of the church, approach or address address an issue of bullying, alienation, and or inappropriate behavior, behaviors such as cussing, pushing clear boundaries, invading personal space inside of the church? How would we address that? And, and the caveat coming with this is, uh, this feels very specific. Um, the, so the texture uh, probably has a specific instance in mind, which we cannot speak to without further questions. Like when I first saw this question come across, 10 more questions came up in my mind uh, that I wanted to ask before I could even get to a response. So the way that we'll probably be answering this is probably going to be very, very high level, um, very, very basic, and not necessarily get to the issue at hand if there is an issue. But we want to encourage um, this person to reach out again to us if you want to further the conversation we would love to have more of a meaningful conversation, but mm-hmm. how would we address um, these issues in the church? A couple of different ways. From an in- incredibly high level, as you as, as you said, very thousand foot view, we need to make sure that we are a church that values and is teaching God's word and God's standard for holiness and all the things to, to where we understand that these things don't. Uh, the, are, these things are out of place mm-hmm. in the church. This is not how we love a brother or sister. This is not how we act in the in the family of God. Um, but also, I kind of go to what I talked about Sunday, in that if 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 an accusation something something came to our attention of this, um, what I would want to do is go to the person, pro- or probably find the person in the church that has the the relational capital. With this person, the right person to go to them, say, uh, "Hey, this is what I heard." Uh, now it's different if this is something I've observed, you know. But still, you go to them one to one and say, uh, "What's what's going on here?" 
uh, what's what's behind this and you you try you try to help i think in those situations it's good for uh, whoever has done those things to uh, one to repent from them but two then to go to the people that they have specifically uh, injured or hurt whether intentionally or not uh, and to seek reconciliation uh, th- through that so so I, I would lean into whoever has relational capital with the person in that situation go to them individually try to go to those who have been effect- affected uh, but also to continually uh, say that this is this is not what is good and uplifting for the body to grow towards Christ likeness yeah my first question is is this one of my kids bullying? <laughs> it's been known to happen. Um, no, it is really difficult without knowing more context. I think one thing we could say, obviously, is that everyone should feel should feel safe at church. Uh, we we claim to be a a family, and everyone should feel safe uh, within their family. That's I mean, this is obviously a big uh, church with a big building, and there's you know interactions happening all over the place. That's one of the reasons we have a hospitality team to help people feel cared for. One, one reason we have a safety team, which, you know, they do a great job. And we've had situations that have been, uh, you know, medical situations or whatnot, and those people have responded so well. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Because we want we want to care for one another. Um, so it, feeling safe is not the same, however, as feeling comfortable. There are uncomfortable things that we are called to do, called to say, interactions that are not easy, um, but the Lord leads us to that. And, and one thing I would say is, uh, if there's a situation that is um, making people feel uncomfortable, there's some inappropriate talk or, or some person that's just not making people feel safe, I mean, one thing to do is pray. We are very quick, and again, we definitely want to take any kind of safety threat very seriously. But in the church, um, man, some people are just going to have more trouble kind of interacting for whatever reason. And so whatever is going on, we don't know everything. Let's pray. And I, I would hope that part of caring for one another and, and and helping one another feel safe is that we would have kind of a knee-jerk reaction that has compassion and that tries to kind of help and pray rather than kind of step back and say, what is that person's problem? Look, we all got problems, okay? And some people's problems are more evident in, in a public way than others. Um, so I hope that would be something that we could we could do. There is a verse uh, that I'm reminded of from 1 Thessalonians that says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak and be patient with them all. Uh, again, uh, I just want to emphasize: we don't want to take any sort of threat of people being hurt or harmed uh, with anything but the utmost seriousness. At the same time, let's be patient, let's be prayerful. And when we see something, when you see something in me, hopefully you're praying for me, you know, and being patient with me. That's what we all need. That's what we all deserve. And the gospel of Jesus and His. Uh, incredible mercy and patience and and steadfast love with all of us sinners, I think just really sets us on the trajectory, right? Really kind of pushes us down the track toward being patient uh, with one another. Yeah, and there's something that Brother Bob always says, you know, that all behavior 
uh, is purposeful. You know, there's there's always something behind uh, the way that the way that people act, and and so I, I think it would be helpful in this situation. And, and again, the reason we're speaking kind of vaguely is because there are so many case by case instances here. Um, but I think if the person in particular is a, a member, a professing member of the church family, depending on their background, depending on their age, uh, depending on their social norms. I mean, for, for, for some people, uh, some of these things listed here, you know, are just different for people. For one family, uh, I'll just use this as an, as an example. For some families, the word stupid is a curse word. Mm. For others, it's not. You know, so uh, we have to make sure that what we're focusing on and what we're most interested in is a reconciliation and a step toward holiness for everyone involved. Uh, and so for the good of the other person, and whether that's just bringing them to light, say, hey, when you do this, I know that may not be anything to you. Here's how that comes across. Mm-hmm. You know, and the person may have no idea. Uh, now there, there are certainly comes a, a line and a time in which, in which, you know, kind of, you have to bear more into that. But, um, speaking, speaking vaguely, seek to understand, seek for the good for all around, but seek to address the situation. I was, I was the target of, of that, re- not really rebuke, uh, but I, we had a church member come up to me uh, just earlier this last week, and we had a, a leader training the week before, and I'd said something in a leader training that uh, they shrugged it off uh, and just took it as me joking, and I did not mean it offensive by any means, but I'm so thankful that she came and talked to me the next week, just kind of jokingly like, oh yeah, you, you know, you said this, wink, wink, and I was like, oh, this is a deal, like I need to I need to step back and like, and, and I really had to apologize because what I said, I didn't even, and I even told her, I was like, I didn't even know that was not a jab at you. I didn't even, I don't even remember you standing next to me when I said that, like, which I, it sounds really <laughs> rude a little bit, but, but I was so thankful that she allowed me the space to uh, explain and repent and apologize uh, for the way that it was perceived, even though that that wasn't the intent. Mm-hmm. And so like, what I would say is like these issues, these, these feel like bigger issues um, that have been gone going on for a long time. But the truth is, if you see something, say something like if there's something that seems off, if there's, uh, inappropriate language that's happening, the sooner you can engage in grace-filled truth conversation with that person, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it may be something that you may be heading something off uh, that's coming down the road that blows up 10 times worse. And mm-hmm. so I would just say, have these conversations sooner rather than later, just one, to give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, and and allow them to explain and have a, have a conversation just like you would a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you want, you're really trying to stop something um, bigger from happening later on. If these, if, if bullying is a deal, like mm-hmm. maybe they don't really understand that the actions that they're, that they're doing are bullying or, I mean, they're just, could just be joking, you know, and that oftentimes can come across as bullying, but they don't intend it that way, but they need to know that they've got to shift the way that they respond and act in those situations. And so I'm thankful. Um, I hope more people do that with me specifically, um, just so I can stop those behaviors. I like what you said, Ryan, about the, um, whoever has the relational capital. I think when it comes to young people, we can also add to that whoever has the relational authority. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, just working with students and working with younger kids over the years, there have been some situations 
where people have come to me and said, look, here's what happened. Here's what this kid said. Here's, you know, whatever. And for me to, to go to this, you know, child uh, or young person and say, Hey, look, uh-uh, that's not happening. We're not, we're not going there. Period. It will not be tolerated. That can have an immediate effect. But beyond that, uh, especially with younger people, that then opens up a teaching opportunity, not just to say, hey, stop, we don't do that. Hey, stop, we don't do that. Here's why. Mm -hmm. And especially if that young person claims to be a believer, mm -hmm. okay, to say, hey, uh, do you think this is how the Lord would want you to respond to this person? Is this, is this what you know being a Christian looks like? I think the Lord is calling you to something better, something higher. Here's some here's some positive ways to kind of move forward with this person in this relationship, whatever. Um, yeah, who has the relational capital is huge. Uh, I think it was Rosaria Butterfield recently. We were listening to a podcast. She said, "Strong words require a strong relationship. Mm -hmm. If there's going to be strong words had with someone, it's probably best for the person who's got a strong relationship to go deliver those words, right? Um, rather than just kind of some." Oh, who, who are you? Nice to meet you kind of thing. Um, but then again, again, also there's an authority there, especially with younger people, where, where parents and pastors and other leaders can step in and really help, not just to stop the behavior, but to kind of teach and help guide and redirect the behavior. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, again, uh, if you'd like to have a further conversation, reach out to any one of yeah. us three. We would love to continue that. Um, not necessarily the place to do it on the podcast, but we would love to continue a conversation if there's something that we need to uh, talk through and, uh, and consider. So um, next question. Great, great practical question for church ecclesiology, politics, not politics, polity. Well, mm -hmm. we, we just went down a rabbit hole, didn't we? <laughs> how are deacons selected in our church? How do we determine how many we have and what are there duties? Great question. Mm -hmm. Great question. Uh, and and I, I can say I'm really, really proud of our deacons and really excited about what's going on with our deacons right now in that uh, we, we are working to put a lot of those definitions in place. Uh, something that we have done as uh, pastors is to look at specific areas of need that would come alongside this Acts chapter six idea of you know what what would occupy uh, the church's time or pastor's time that would perhaps keep us from from our, our roles and our specific duties and what are the physical needs of of the church and so we came up with a, a, a short succinct list. It took that to the deacons, and the deacons uh, have worked to organize and are working to organize themselves uh, according to, okay, well, I can, I can step in that area. I can serve in that area. So the, the deacons are working to organize and structure themselves really alongside the pastors and the needs of the church family, and that's an ongoing process right now. So pray for your deacons, support your deacons. Great guys, and we're, we're working uh, through what that looks like. Um, as far as how deacons are selected, I believe it's it's been several years since any deacons have been added. So, um, but that's one thing that the deacons are looking at currently, uh, looking at uh, what is that process, and some of that going to, going to be in these different areas of need. Where are some guys that are already serving, guys that have 
those biblical sets of qualifications who are already in those roles. So rather than just trying to say, hey, well, you've got some leadership abilities, we'll stick you in as a, a deacon, or you're a good, you have some serving abilities, we'll put you in as a deacon. Really, guys who are already kind of drawn to that, looking with a desire, and uh, who are already engaged in serving the church, uh, who are also uh, biblically qualified. And so, so that's kind of the process and going to be the process. It's being refined right now and defined, um, but that's that's kind of one great thing about deacons is that a lot of times they're going to be kind of your behind-the-scenes guys. Mm-hmm. They're going to be really faithful guys. Uh, they're going to be the guys that people call, but they're also a lot of times not going to be the ones that stay up and say, hey, I need a role. You know, I want to be a deacon you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's entirely admirable. But sometimes you have to put in the put some thought process to think. Oh well, yeah, this this guy because he's not going to come forward himself a lot of times. Yeah. Would you? I just thought of this. This may be helpful or not. But would you? Would you say you said physical needs? Is it is a helpful definition of kind of the role of a deacon meeting practical physical needs with spiritual and doctrinal maturity? Yeah, I like that. Absolutely, because I could see how there would be people who maybe are really great at meeting practical physical needs, but they don't have the spiritual maturity aspect that the Scripture lays down, and therefore um, the real goal of their ministry is somehow going to be off or maybe fall short somehow. Both of those things are important. Is that is that right? Yeah, absolutely, because a lot of times they overlap as well. Mm -hmm. If someone is meeting a physical need uh, for someone in our church family, they're going to be ministering. They're going to be speaking truth. They're going to need some doctrinal clarity to speak into some situations. Mm -hmm. And so that's absolutely, absolutely vital. And I've I've heard it stated, pastors are servant leaders and deacons are lead servants. Uh, in in the way they uh, approach approach the body, so the guys that are they're leading out, discipling in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. discipling men life on life alongside them. That's a wonderful uh, way that our deacons serve our our church family as as a serving body, uh, but also trying to complement uh, the other roles mm-hmm. in our church family. I think one one huge aspect of the ministry too is widows. Uh, yes. we, they they are assigned uh, widows and they care for those widows and they do it really well. So um, widows and then taking care of stuff going on inside the church and we've got and they're they're becoming more active I think than than what we've had even in the past just just for sure sake of need. I mean we've been asking them to do a lot and they've been doing a fantastic job and so we're excited for where the future that's going to take us. And we probably do need to start looking at uh, getting some young faces on that on that crew. So, and there's a lot of people to pick from a lot of good guys serving in the church already. So, Hey, that, that reminds me, you know, widows led me to think about shut-ins. Let me think about what rich did on Sunday. Yeah. And I think today's the day, isn't it? Tuesday is, um, uh, I can't, their names slipped my mind right here. Yeah. I can't, but was it, was it last Tuesday? Is it Cliff, is it? Cliff and Fonda, Fonda Broyles. Broyles. Yeah. Broyles. 78 years. 78 years of yeah. marriage. Today. Yeah. They're both, I think, 98, and, and Rich told me he meant to say, he forgot to say, they're they're going to be 99 this spring sometime. Hmm. Wow. Isn't that incredible? That is Amazing. Crazy. Stormed Normandy. Yeah. Was in the Battle of the, Bu- the Bulge as yep. a tank driver. Mm-hmm. 
those are those are guys worth learning from and sitting down with <laughs> you know not not to mention 78 years of marriage wow. advice. i wonder if cliff and fonda listen to the podcast if so cliff <laughs> and fonda we would love to have you on the podcast <laughs> that would be amazing wouldn't it and yeah. ask you some questions it is today it is today yeah fantastic Wonderful. Yeah. Praise cliff, the Lord. Cliff and Fonda Boils. Yeah. How awesome. Boils. Boils. Yeah. 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 And and I can say I, lo- I loved that that Rich did that. Yeah. And there's a Rich is working as part of his pastoral care emphasis to work with a team of deacons and some others to really up our game on uh the, the homebound and those who just aren't able to gather with us regularly uh to make sure that we're meeting those needs and that we are able to minister and keep them in the loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think also a great way to help keep keep them in the loop is keeping them in front of the gathered congregation on Sunday morning. So I hope we see more of that. I, I loved, loved that. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Okay. Uh, next one, we've got last question and then a, a comment that I'll read at the end, but uh, it says this, I'm enjoying the podcast. Woohoo! We like it when people enjoy the podcast. Thank Thanks Let's for letting us there. know. Most people just <laughs> ask great. questions yeah. and don't don't tell us if they like us or not. But <laughs> hey, thank you, thank you that you're enjoying the podcast. Anyways, when talking about church discipline, some people will use the argument that if something was said publicly, then it should be rebuked publicly, referencing hmm. Paul's rebuke of Peter. Is this something we should practice as well? And when should we call out heresy publicly? And when should we keep it private? Keep up the good work, they say. Great question. There's lots of layers to this. Um, publicly can mean some different things, and something someone says can mean some different things. So in, in particular, I, I, I think immediately of social media. Like if you see someone make a post on Facebook or put a, a, an image on Instagram that you know is not in alignment with God's words, like that. Since that was a public post, then is it the responsibility of the church member to then also post publicly on that post? You know, is that kind of kind of the question? Also, it could be you know if someone is um, you know not necessarily part of the church or whatever, but there's just a. Uh, naming names is kind of a way to say it. Should we name names? Should we call people? Should call people out? Um, absolutely. In the scripture, we have Paul naming names and being very specific mm-hmm. about people who are straying from the flock. He, he's addressing each of those within uh, the local church context. So he is saying, "Hey, go to these people," but obviously they know what's going on, and uh, so there is some kind of public offense. Uh, in the situation of like social social media post or something like that, I think probably still the best avenue would be a personal one to one. If you see something posted online, uh, give them a call, take them coffee, say, "Hey, you may not even mean this this way. This is how it's coming across." Or I would I would just encourage you to to think twice about that post. Go to them individually rather than um, battling online. And on Facebook, that seldom, I don't know that I've ever seen that create a healthy dialogue. I think at best, just a, a comment, hey, PM me, you know, send me a message, or I've sent you a message, like just to say that it's been engaged with, but no more than that. It's never, never helpful. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and don't leave a whole long thing in the smiley emoji 
or something just to kind of like, hey, hey you, you know, show this relational. If you want to show this relational, be relational. Make it, put a voice to it, face to face it. Uh, that will that will be much more effective in in the long term. But yeah, if someone's if someone does that, puts out a post publicly, certainly address it. If you have the relationship, go relationally first in order to address it. Yep. Where you went with the question is not what I was thinking, uh, but that was really good, very helpful. I, I, don't, I don't quite know which direction to go with this because, like you said, there's lots of there's lots of uh, kind of layers to this. I, I will say, you know, this person uses the term church discipline, which is fine. Uh, you, you framed in terms of church accountability, mm -hmm. which I think is was helpful. Um, it's never m merely a private thing. In fact, I think it's important to distinguish something here because people get pretty, I guess, nervous when they hear the term church discipline. But you notice they don't get nervous when they hear the word church discipling, discipleship. I think a case could be made that there is uh, in church discipline, to use that terminology, both a formative aspect to it and a corrective aspect to it. Uh, and those two just go hand in hand. And when you talk about formative church discipline, all you're talking about is discipling people, helping them walk with Jesus. Some people use it, the phrase discipleship. That's that's great. That's fine. That's the terminology we've used here for, for years. Uh, we want to focus on discipleship, helping people follow the way. In that sense, church discipline formatively is public all the time. We're always seeking to teach one another and counsel one another and encourage one another. We're having discussions where we sharpen one another. You could view all of that as church discipline in a sense. Now, now when it comes to kind of corrective discipline, things do get a little more tricky or sensitive, but that's why, as you pointed out, Jesus lays out this step-by-step -step process. And what I want to say is it's a process. It's not like an equation. Oh, there it is. I see it. Two plus two, four. Now we move to this step. Okay, now four plus four, eight. Now this step. It's not. It's not that way. This is a a way that the good shepherd uses his people and uses his under shepherds uh, just to help people come back into the fold and, and and steer them away from from danger. And as far as like how how then do we move from this step to that step? Well, it's important to recognize this is very private. At first, uh, it seems to me, even if there's a kind of public sin like you're talking about, there's a one-to-one, -one, go to your brother kind of aspect to it, and then just take two or three with you. And then even the church, that's still not the whole world. Now, I think it's important to say also, just as a strong caveat, we're not talking about crimes, okay? Uh, churches get in trouble when they try to say, well, crimes, we're just going to you know keep this among ourselves. Yeah. There are sins that are not crimes, but there are some sins that are crimes, and we need to help people understand you got to get the authorities involved in those situations and not try to cover cover things up. Um, nevertheless, it's still not just just tell it to everybody. It's, it's a church kind of matter. But all kind of factors come into play when you try to think about at what level we're going to in kind of this corrective discipline. I mean, all kinds of, of factors. And for me, I have, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that I, I have used a couple of different times that really has kind of helped slow me down and slow others down sometimes 
when someone's upset about this situation and we really need to bring church discipline, right? There's a time and a way for everything. That's Ecclesiastes 8.6. One of the considerations is just kind of this person, their family, uh, all kinds of relational context. Is this uh, person a, a child? Are they are they under 18? Are they over 18? Do they still live with their parents? All kinds of questions need to be asked before we just say, oh, there it is. There's the formula. There's the steps. This is a process that is ultimately leading toward uh, reconciliation. That's the goal. And if you follow that out in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and then 2 Corinthians, I think, 6, uh, that's really what we're after is reaffirm your love for this brother. That's the goal. And to do that, you can't just say, well, here's the timeline and we're going to do it this way. These are people, mm-hmm. right? So anyway, to be patient, to be to be loving, to be um, following these steps in ways that are not formulaic, so to speak, or, or e- like an equation, but steps that we have to take together pursuing this person in love. Uh, and again, I just love the way you frame that. Speaking the truth in love, that's how we're going to maintain this unity and grow together to maturity that, that God calls us to. So with all of that being said, I think the real kind of question for me when I read this is, what does repentance look like? How public does repentance need to be? Hmm. And I don't know if I have a, a a real clear answer, but it seems like there is a general principle there that however public the offense is, typically that's how public the repentance needs to be. Typically. Um, you know, just maybe to take a, a, a an example of that, like if if I am if I speak harshly to my wife, right, in front of my other children. Not my other, she's not my child. In front of my children, right? <laughs> Be careful. I might need to Ooh, repent of that. Cut that out. Very publicly. <laughs> um, if, if I speak harshly to my wife in front of my children, it may be that I need to obviously repent to my wife, but also I might need to go to them mm-hmm. and say, hey, dude, listen, I need to tell you, this was not right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I set that poor example for you. Um, that, that kind of thing. Uh, if I blow up at her and I just say, what? I didn't sin against those kids. Well, you kind of did. Dad, you know, uh, because you're the leader, not just of that wife, but of those children as well. And you're, you're called to to uh, to model for them what that looks like. Uh, and also, the good news is we can model repentance as well. So I, I think that's a general principle. What do you guys think about that? I think uh, I agree with you. I agree with both of you. And I think I would go, I think the most helpful uh, in whenever you're talking about walking through church accountability, church discipline, however you want to frame it, um, engaging with someone in the same context in which the comment or act was made, I think is kind of the direction. Maybe the question is going because the the whole section about Paul opposing Peter in Galatians 11, Paul, <laughs> I love the first part. It says, uh, Galatians 2, 11. Yeah. 2, 11. Yep. what I say? You said Galatians 11. 11. Yeah. There's not 11 chapters in Galatians. Galatians 2, 11. It says, but when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Like, I, I love that. Paul, man, he doesn't pull any stops, but he, but he goes on and talks about the way that Peter was by his actions. He was leading, uh, the Jews and even Barnabas mm-hmm. astray into his hypocrisy by the things that he was doing. And so Paul called him out in mm-hmm. front of everyone. It says that uh, before them all, um, I said to him, if they, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so I do think there's a place for that. I don't think social media is that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I can't just copy and paste and say, 
uh, try to confront uh, lovingly with grace and truth in the same context as the statements made. I think social media is kind of an outlier, should not engage on that. Uh, but if it's in made made in the context of here at the church, if something is done and it has the potential to lead others astray that they saw, I think that would be you know an opportunity to confront mm-hmm. uh, in a loving way, to redirect in a loving way. I think you could do it both ways. I think if there is repentance on the backside and, and you have the ability to um, encourage that person to go repent to those that he could have potentially led astray, mm-hmm. uh, then I think that that is probably the... the uh, most relationship saving means to accomplish that. Uh, but I do think there is a way that you could do this in public um, or at least in the same context that it was done. Does that, does that make well, sense? Yeah. And you bring up an important point. There are some sins that may be very serious, but they are not kind of immediately threatening uh, the broader community. Right. And so if they are immediately threatening the broader community. Well, that may be a different discussion. Um, and I think here, the, the example you use with Paul, I think clearly this is something that's going to have far-reaching impact in the church and in churches in other places as well because of Peter's uh, authority and because of his standing in the church. And so Paul says we have to deal with this now, and he does it in a very uh, seemingly very public way mm-hmm. because he knows what's at stake for the entire church. This is not just him being sort of offended personally. This is an offense to the gospel, that, that Peter is really setting a tone and setting a trajectory that is going to lead right away from the gospel and lead to hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In, in these situations, so much prayer and wisdom has to go into each and every situation, and everyone is going to be unique. I think the goal with each and every one is to put the fire out put the, the sin fire uh, out with repent, repentance or with, with truth leading to, to repentance. So if someone sets a really, really big fire, a very public fire, uh, you can't just say, well, we knocked out this part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you, you need to go to the reaches. How far is that going? Uh, at the same time, if someone sets a medium fire, you don't need to say, well, we need to make it a large fire because it's not a small fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't don't fight fire with with fire. So I think there are ways that you can uh, handle those those things. Sometimes it's a matter if if someone is repentant, um, but it's a public discretion. I think sometimes you can you can say, "Look, we are aware that this took place." We uh, so if anyone has any question about it, absolutely, please come talk to us. Uh, this is. Kind of, these are some of the steps that we've taken. Uh, if you don't know what it is or haven't been affected by it, okay, just pray for this person. You know, not come at four o'clock and we'll disclose. You know what happened and what they did. <laughs> you know that that's that doesn't necessarily help anyone. No, there were some some words you used, some adjectives you used when you were talking about that kind of final step um, of of treating this person like an unbeliever or a tax collector. I think it's Gentile or tax collector, I can't remember exactly the terminology Jesus uses there, but basically you're saying we can no longer kind of affirm that this person is one of us. And you use some some terms there. It's not just like, oh, they told a lie or something. There was some terms, and these are the ones I just jotted down. Mm-hmm. Correct me here. Public, ongoing, grievous, unrepentant. 
the the words that that I used were willing, habitual, and unrepentant. So you got one right. Thank you. <laughs> Good job. Thank Way you. No take. Uh, no, but, you, you, but it's all it's all in the it's all from the root form of the Greek words. Boiled. <laughs> uh, so and and I nuanced those fairly fairly particularly one because it's willing it's something that the person knows that they are doing uh this is not hey everyone so and so smells right let's vote them out no that's <laughs> not how that works um it's willing it's habitual it's not just something someone did one time we're, we're all gonna mess up we're all gonna fall into to sin i think uh, i think all all sin is grievous you know no matter the the, the level um but if it's it's habitual but it's also unre- unrepentant you know like you know, I don't care that I'm doing this. Or not even that I don't care, but I, I'm okay with doing this. Mm-hmm. There are, I've had people uh, in in the past and talk, talking about church discipline or church ca- accountability say, oh, well, are you going to kick me out of the church because I'm fat? You know, <laughs> like, well. <laughs> wow. Uh, and so, 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 you know, well, that's that's a public, there's a, there's a gluttony, there's a thing. But usually um, people who struggle with, gluttony or, or things of that nature, they're not unrepentant about it, hmm. you know? Um, so to have those three things is pretty much a, a, a home run. Yeah, this hmm. needs to be addressed and this needs to be shared. But uh, if, if you don't have all three of those, someone's trying to work, we'll walk a long way with someone who's trying to, to work and trying to help themselves and go through, you know, that, cause that's, that's, what sanctification Amen. is yeah. that's the process so we don't have to be afraid of having uh, erred or or sinned um, that's what confession is for while we confess to one another and we help one another uh, not do those things again because we don't like to so um yeah yeah those th- those are things willing habitual and and, un- and unrepentant yeah that's good I was just thinking there 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 might be a previous step that the Bible gives us, which is overlook an offense. Hmm. I don't know where that verse is found exactly. Maybe somebody with a computer over there named Josh. Overlook an offense because there are lots of uh, sins that are not willing, habitual, and grievous and unrepentant that we're going to see in our brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And so many of those things uh, are of a nature where it is the glory, you know, of a brother or a sister, simply to overlook those things, and and like we said earlier, maybe just our knee jerk reaction should be to pray, you know, Lord, I'm not sure where that came from, but just we pray for that person, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, I would hope that that would be the, the case with me because I'm I'm sure I sin all the time, <laughs> uh, and half the time I don't even realize what's going on. Um, so again, to have a culture of of patience and mercy because of what Christ has done for us and because of the mercy shown to us. I think, uh, and again, uh, not that Matthew 18 is exhaustive, but that's clearly kind of the, uh, the step-by-step process when things go awry. But there's something above that. Thank you very much. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. That may be the first step. Mm-hmm. Step yeah. Step zero, maybe. Yeah, and there's there's probably some of that deals in the terminology of what is an offense mm-hmm. and what is a sin, mm-hmm. you know. Um, 
and it, it goes it goes back to our to our previous discussion. Uh, someone may not know that they're offending. Someone may not know that they even are sinning, depending on their on their background. And so that's that's why we have to be in relationship. Why we have to be accountable to one another, but also accountable for one another in the way that if there's somebody who is publicly doing one of these willing, habitual, uh, unrepentant sins, it's important for us to identify we as Arrow Heights Baptist Church, having biblically gone through every step we possibly can, we no longer affirm that this person is a Christian, Mm. and this person is no longer a member of this church family. Now, we don't need to uh, put that in the paper, you know, but I do think it's important that we recognize that because uh, s- somewhere down the road something happens. So they say, well, well, they're a member of this church, X, Y, Z. Say, well, no, they are not. We publicly addressed this within mm-hmm. within our circle, so it has it has been addressed. But it's 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 important because we're we're accountable for each other, even when we leave these walls. Mm-hmm. That's good. That is really good. There's a verse in Galatians that I just want to point to real fast. Brothers, if anyone is caught, there, there's that caught. This is not just a one-time thing. This is something that's continually going. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a warning here, kind of a, a kind of a weight that comes with this accountability that you're talking about. And I can just speak personally. That has been the case in a couple of different churches where there was there was some uh, really uh, terrible thing that happened, and a person is totally unrepentant about it. And by God's grace, the the outcome of that is, of course, seeking reconciliation. But when there's not, there is this this feeling of we should keep watch on ourselves as well because we see where this brother is headed. Mm-hmm. We are uh, prone to wander in the same direction. So we, we can't be proud about it. This is something that should lead us to repent in our own hearts, first and foremost, rather than causing us to kind of rise up in pride somehow. It should, it should humble us mm-hmm. as we seek to try to love this brother back into the fold. Yeah. We always want to do all of this with a there before the grace of God go I yeah. mentality. Yeah. We're not better than anybody. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll end with a a very encouraging comment that came in from a text. There's no question involved, but we thought it would be appropriate to read uh, here, and then we will close after that. Uh, It says this, in light of yesterday's sermon, or Sunday's sermon, regarding the part about church accountability when a member doesn't heed warnings, Ezekiel gives insight of the time when Israel would not heed the prophet's warning about their idolatry leading to captivity. God informs Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3.7 by saying, but the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. God sent a prophet, God sent prophet after prophet, message after message, and sign after sign to give opportunity to his people to repent. But they did not. So he had to do what he said he would do, send them into cat- captivity, and it broke God's heart to do so, which he says in Hosea 11:8. God knows the pain that we go through when a prodigal disregards reason. He knows the effort and prayers we give to provide a way out for the prodigal. It is not wasted. Nevertheless, the famous and very familiar passage in Jeremiah 29.11 is written for such a people as these, prodigals who wandered far from the heart of God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope 
and a future. Thanks for tackling this subject of the church. Ears and hearts heard your words. Very encouraging. Yeah, praise God for that. And I also want to say I appreciate the church so much in uh, receiving a difficult passage in with much grace, but also with uh, with the, the weight due. You know, um, people listened well, uh, received good good comments afterward, uh, and not just hey, you know, good job. You know, this was helpful with this situation, and this, you know. Uh, so thank you to the church for being willing to address hard passages and difficult texts, and uh, always willing, as, as I said, I know that it brings up a whole host of questions, always happy to address those anytime. Yep. If you've got more questions, the number is 918-280-9628. Uh, we hope to see you tomorrow night or this Wednesday night at 630 for cross-training kids all the way up through adults. We have a place for you. Uh, so show up and we'll put you in a group. Uh, if you'd like any more information, you can text that number. Thanks for hanging with us on this edition of the Arrow Heights podcast.